You're entering a world of pain. Walter, man. You mark that frame in eight, you're entering a world of pain. I'm not. A world of pain. Look, dude, I, this is your partner. Is the whole world gone crazy? Welcome back, Futzers, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. This is the March 1979 issue of The Uncanny X-Men, 119. Hey, Jeremy. Uh, Yes, Adam. Do you know what this sound is? It's a baby rattle. Adam, are you a father? (laughs) No. Oh. um... No, that would be pretty wild, though. (laughs) (laughs) That would be amazing if that's what that was. I didn't tell you in the past nine months what was going on. Well, you know, maybe you were in denial. Like, nah, she's not (laughs) pregnant. (laughs) I'm going to guess, Adam, that it's got to be a drink. It is. Do you know what kind of drink it is? I would have to guess, based on the nature of conversations that we have had in the past, that it must be a fastball special. It is. It might be the world's first fastball special. I would like to join you in a fastball special. Well... Do you have the ingredients? I do. I have my fixins for a uh, fastball special, but before I make mine, I'd like you to tell me about yours. Well, I started with the ice. Okay, check. Got that. Glass full of ice. Glass full of ice. Okay. I added, uh, well, I had measurements, but I kind of eyeballed it. Okay. So my measurement was one and a half ounces of Canadian Club Rye which is whiskey. Yeah, right. And I did a little bit of research. Uh, rye whiskey in the United States has to be like 50% or more rye. In Canada, it doesn't have to be any part rye. Right. But regardless, um, I have, I think, probably the cheapest Canadian whiskey I could find at my local liquor store. This is uh, rich and rare Canadian whiskey. So, no rye. There was a whole Canadian whiskey section in my liquor store i was i was impressed so an ounce and a half oh eyeball it whatever you want to drink (laughs) all right i've got i've got something let's start there (laughs) next then you add in your kalua or coffee liqueur yep how much how much Uh, of that three quarters of an ounce so basically less than you put in of the whiskey all right maybe half half of the amount that you put in in the whiskey okay Three quarters of an ounce of the homogenized milk. All right. Same amount of the milk. Now, this does not make a whole glass of drink, does it? I don't know. You can make another one when you're done. <laughs> All right. How, how much do you have there? I mean, it makes it makes a small glass. It's. I mean, what are you drinking out of? Essentially, I have a wine glass here, a stemless wine glass that's about half full of my drink. Yeah, that sounds about right. Now, the the this is interesting. The milk is floating like the like uh I think it was Michelle uh, had said it is floating on top of the Kahlua and whiskey. Right. And I'm not sure should I should I stir it or do I just drink it this way? Well, what I read is that if you're making a white russian and you shake your drink at the end, you have now made a different drink. Oh. oh. So you can you can stir it, yes. But if you shake it, it's different. And what did you do, Adam? I, I I stirred it. All right. I'm just going to give it a uh, shake here. I actually did not have any homogenized milk at hand. What, did you have milk? Uh, No, I just added oh. some, like, some cream. Oh, well, that's fine. 
Yeah. I mean, if you ever get a white Russian at a bar, I mean, you're lucky if the bar actually has milk on hand. They generally put coffee creamers in there, and if you get really unlucky, they put, like, the powdery creamer in your drink. Yeah, I figured the milk was, since, I mean, basically, uh, if you don't put the milk in a white Russian, it's a black Russian. So this would just be a variation on the fastball special. Uh, bottoms up. It's not bad. No, it's not bad at all. It tastes kind of like uh, Coca-Cola with a lot of whiskey in it. <laughs> kind of. I might not have uh, used enough Kahlua. Mine's more milky. But then again, I didn't really do the measurements as you did. Well, I didn't do the me- Like I said, I eyeballed it. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad at all. This will make for an interesting podcast. Well, with that said and done, Adam, let's talk about this killer cover. I really like Wolverine on this cover. (laughs) He's in the shadows, just like hacking and slashing away. Although this is a Cockrum cover. Cockrum, I felt, never really got Wolverine's claws. Yeah, they're a little too spread out in this uh, picture. And they're too thick. Yeah. Yeah, that can spread out. Like, there's no way that that could retract into his uh, into his arm. Yeah, but it's basically it's a cluster. It's a <clears throat> it's got Storm uh, and Sunfire in the foreground, kind of taking care of one another. Moses Mayhem is in the middle, taking on hits from Colossus and Cyclops. I'm not entirely sure what Nightcrawler is doing, but he's not facing the battle. Well, he's fighting the Mandroid. Ah, good that point. Wolverine is on the back of. And then Banshee is flying over, so... Diving in for the kill, and the Eagle Awards is flying in. Yes, whatever the Eagle Award is, the X-Men have won it. Or maybe they're just advertising it. (laughs) Order an Eagle Award now, kids! (laughs) And that's it, you know, there's that's the cover. I think the problem with this cover is that there's so much going on that it kind of makes for an unmemorable um, experience. I feel like the colors could be more dynamic in this color mm-hmm. or cover, mm-hmm. and that would make it a little more interesting. Hmm. Could be. I, I think everybody's doing interesting things. I just, yeah, it's 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 like you said, it's either too jumbled or or it's just not dynamic enough. And then it says, "Make way for Moses Mayhem." Magnum, even. What <laughs> Moses Mayhem? He he was uh, the mask villain. <laughs> no, he was Miles Mayhem. Well, I got all my bad guys confused. <laughs> Sorry about that. When you say the when you say the mask villain, I'm immediately thinking of that movie with Cher. No, 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 no. The the there mask was a villain in that. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, the kid with the big head. He had a he had an arch nemesis named Moses Mayhem. <laughs> so let's open this book up, and uh, it's it's co-authored and plotted by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Terry Austin is in for inking. He's back. He's back. Costanza is lettering. Ween is coloring. I'm just going to use last names. Stern is editing, and Shooter is the editor-in-chief. This one's titled, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Merry Christmas! 
Press, a Christmas issue, finally. It's kind of a strange placing for a Christmas issue. Yeah. But this one has a cover date of March 1979, but was actually released December 12th of 1978. So, okay. yeah, it's, it's good timing. Yep. So Storm and Nightcrawler are flying above the Kuril Islands, which are just north of Japan. Right. Where we left off last issue, Moses Magnum had just threatened, unless he was given Japan, he would destroy it. Mm-hmm. So they have to make him emperor. And he's proved he can do it, too. Mm-hmm. With his, what did he call it? His Magnum his, his Magnum Force. His magnum force. I was close. <laughs> and so Storm asks if Kurt is ready, and he says that he is. Um, he's even spotted where he wants to land. And he also says, You know, Aurora, even though this Varukt stunt was my idea. Varukt. Varukt. Which means wild. Yeah. This wild, this wild stunt. Uh, he wishes there was another way. And with that, he teleports off. He teleports to the ground of this base, which is this island that we mentioned here a moment ago, and he has a little inner monologue about uh, how he couldn't let Storm see how scared he was, and if he made a mistake, he may have teleported himself half in and out of the steel floor. But unfortunately, he landed on the very top of the complex, and he can't do Cyclops, and uh, the other's very good up there. So he's got I don't to know get why inside. he's sad about landing on the very top of the complex. I mean, his powers are limited. He can't go where he can't see, so where else could he go? If you look at this base, it kind of looks like one of those Cobra Terror drones, and he's just like on the upper tier, and it looks like he could have teleported to a lower tier. Yeah, if he could see it. I mean, that's that's the big what question is what exactly can he see and I can, what can't he see? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, he's lucky he could teleport at all. I mean, think about it. If he couldn't teleport, he couldn't have even made it to the top of the uh, structure. So, I don't know. I think he's just looking a gift horse in the mouth with those comments. Yeah, everybody's got to stop feeling so sorry for their powers and their abilities. They're all great guys. <laughs> oh, I'd like to hang out with all of them. Heck yeah. Don't worry, there'll be more people feeling sad about their powers. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and so he continues on to say that he's got to get inside, which means getting past a guard without making much of a fuss. And uh, he uses his tail to pull the guard up and then knock him out. And he continues to go on and say that Wolverine would have handled it differently, but Nightcrawler does not have that instinct for the jugular, which I'm not entirely sure what that means. Wolverine would have killed him. Well, I get that, but his instinct for the jugular, like, I don't know, that phrase just doesn't resound, uh, doesn't work for me. Uh, the jugular is, you know, the jugular vein. I I mean, I get the, the Wolverine would have gone for the jugular. I get that, but the way he says it, I haven't his instinct for the jugular. I don't know. It's just mm -hmm. weird. <laughs> so anyways... Nightcrawler continues talking about how the X-Men have to save the world. Which will come in handy later, I suppose. One man can offhandedly condemn a hundred million people to death, he says, referring to Moses Magnum. He can't believe what a what a what a terrible villain he is. Yeah, he's a he starts flashing back to 
a few hours ago when the uh who is this guy? This is Osama. What is Osama's role? I'm not sure. He's not the um he's not he's the, emperor. the emperor. He's some sort of Japanese ambassador. Sure. Yeah. So he's he's basically talking about how there's some er, instability underneath the island. There's fault lines. If they are applied appropriately, the entire island will shatter. And Magnus, or uh, Moses Magnus, has already shown that he understands this and that his threat is no bluff. And therefore. These seven dudes, the X-Men plus Sunfire, are their only hope. Yeah. I guess they also go on to talk a little bit about how Moses Magnum is the new self-proclaimed heir to Anthony Stark's title of arms dealer to the world. So he's smart and builds war machines. Right. And he's survived twice before in Giant Size Spider-Man 5 and Power Man Annual Number 1. And I did some research, and that is a typo. Really? His first appearance was in Giant Size Spider-Man number four. He did not appear in Giant Size Spider-Man number five. You heard it here first, folks. And uh, he was taken down by the Punisher and Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And then the second time, as we will find out later, he fell down an elevator shaft. I think... Um, or a drill shaft. I think Giant Size Spider-Man number four must have been reprinted in like a marvel tales presents or something because i've read the punisher spider-man moses magnum story in the past oh okay that's my familiarity with moses magnum but anyhow uh we also hear that some investigative work by colleen wing and misty knight who we recognize has uh shown where magnum's base is and it's that curl chain island thing that we talked about a moment ago I've got an idea, says Nightcrawler. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cyclops asks if there are any alternatives to them going in and stopping him, and he says none. Mm-hmm. The prime minister. So he's not the prime minister either. So maybe he's like a war advisor to the prime minister. That's who this is. It's just a guy. Yeah, yeah. Just some random guy on the street that's like, oh, trust me, it's just you seven. Prime Minister has your backing, trust me. He is Colleen Wing's great uncle. Oh, well, yeah. So there there you go. He's got that going for him. I don't know what that gives him. But the uh the, the Prime Minister's plan or his plan or someone's plan is basically since Magnum has said if they try to stop him, he will unleash the magnum force destroying japan they have to do it sneakily Mm -hmm. they can't be detected nope so we flip back to nightcrawler who radios over to um, misty saying that um, he's inside the craters there's no problems so misty and colleen are kind of kind of running things from what looks like an airplane i think some sort of airplane, yeah. Yeah, they're coordinating the events of the X-Men. So uh, Misty reaches out to Storm and says that the it, it's go, go time, go, attack, Banshee. Yeah. Which Banshee does by doing a sonic scream. And this is interesting because Banshee now is 
thinking to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost as though they've just decided that he can't talk when he flies. Yes. And that will, I believe, be a continuing trend through the rest of this issue, if not the series. But yes. Definitely this issue. So his uh, the idea here is that uh, he will use his sonic scream to um, create a harmonic scale as fast as he can, which should uh, play some problems with Magnum scanners. He says we should play Mary Hob, which who knows what that is. <laughs> Perhaps some of our Scottish listeners know. <laughs> oh, Mary Hob. He was a, a story that he told little boys to scare us back in the uh, old country. Mary Hob. It's a song. Mary Hob. <laughs> so everybody. Some random generic guard with uh, a black and white helmet, which is kind of silly. Uh, he yeah, ra- they all have silly helmets. Like only the the one guard in the back looks like he has a helmet. The other ones, um, they look like penis hats. <laughs> well, I was gonna say like the one that's standing up looks like he has a motorcycle helmet on, but the two sitting down look like they have shrunken versions of like the Japanese rice paddy hats. Mm, but, yeah. yeah, but that's the clean version. <laughs> I was gonna say Adam, you you just went there. What's the matter with you? Um, but yeah, they report that there's a problem in quadrant four. There's a total systems failure. And, uh, that's when motorcycle helmet head man says that he's going to notify Mr. Magnum. Sound of first stage alert. It could be an attack. So, you know, that's smart. So this is, they're falling right into the plan apparently. Cause nightcrawler says there's the alarm klaxons just as Cyclops planned. So we know now it's- he just has to sneak down into the basement and signal Cyclops, and uh, as he does this, he crawls into the shadows, where he his shadow disappearing power starts to go into effect. Yeah, so um, I'm sure that'll be rewritten. But um, one thing I want to point out is that he says that um, Cyclops and his team are depending on me to find them a safe route into this rock before they run out of air. Now. In my opinion, this would be an, a great time to switch over to Cyclops and team to find out what the heck does Nightcrawler mean by that line. But we well, don't. <laughs> and it takes us quite a while before, like, what is he talking about? It only takes a page. Yeah, but... But, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. The pacing is, is a little bit off on this issue. But other than that, I think this is a pretty uh, solidly paced issue. Oh, wow. We're going to have words at the end of this issue. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, Bring but, it on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get a drink in you and all of a sudden get violent, Adam. <laughs> mm. It's pretty good, i got to be honest. Um, so anyways, uh, they do not flip to Cyclops on his team. They uh, flip to some more random guards who are uh, heading. They're running the opposite direction of the giant arrow that's on the floor. Well, here's what I have to say. This is a comic book. Mm-hmm. And... Unless, like, it's a page-by-page medium. So they kind of plan it out by, by you know, they, they pace things by page. So what they really should have done is made this somehow, this this word balloon of Nightcrawler crawling in be like the last panel of a page so that you'd have to turn the page then to see what Cyclops, where, where Cyclops is. Sure. And that would be interesting suspense. And that's that's essentially what they do. The only difference is that it's the first panel instead of the last panel. 
Okay. Um, so you kind of you kind of have this same kind of tension that you have to turn the next page to actually see what he's talking about, which is a, which is what I think is what they're going for. But um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you that it would have been better served that you turn the page and figure it out right away. Yeah, right. Have have his last sentence kind of bleed into that storyline. But regardless, we but think about it. The listeners like reading this page now and just. What is going on with Cyclops? Is he in space? <laughs> exactly. But I got to be honest, Adam. I read this portion of. We've been off for a couple of weeks, right? And so multiple times I've picked this up to read it to get prepared for the show. And I've gotten so bored that I haven't been able to make it through like the first third of the book. So it took me until my third reading before I realized what this out of air situation actually meant because I was so bored. You were bored? What is there to be bored by? This is like <laughs> Nightcrawler. He's doing some adventuring stuff. I'd... All right, granted, the previous page was just a lot of talking, but, you know, <laughs> the Nightcrawler stuff is interesting. Well, this is a character uh, that we haven't seen fleshed out yet. He's finally getting his moment in the sun. I'm sorry, Adam. We'll talk, we'll talk after we get through this story, and maybe <laughs> I can shed some light on my boredom. Okay. But anyways, yes, so the, the guards come out, they run against the arrow, and that's when they're swept up by some ice uh, elemental powers, of course, conjured up by Storm. What is the purpose of having a giant arrow in your base, anyway? And so that you know which way to run, unless you're being attacked, and then you run the opposite direction. <laughs> Everybody go that way, down the stairs, in case you didn't realize what stairs were. I have no idea. It's not like they're pointing, like... Go to the left down this corridor, not to the right. They're pointing downstairs. Yeah, it's of like you go. Where, where are you going to go? Jump off the side? I don't know. It's like it's like a big uh, yellow arrow carpet that they decided to lay out on the top of this base. <laughs> it's just weird. So yeah, storm whips up some a vicious ice storm within the crater, and Banshee continues to uh, use his sonic scream to. Uh, take down some what looks like satellite dishes but he says he's also taking down a sonic disruptor or disintegrator cannon mm -hmm. big mistakes lad because here's some of your own medicine back at you and so i'm guessing that he screams so loud that the guy that's in the cockpit of the sonic disintegrator cannon he feels the pain he gets the sound waves the men manning the cannon will be deaf for a few days, but at least they'll be alive. I like this drawing of the guy. Yarg! He reaches out towards the camera. Yeah. Well, as though he's trying to grab the, the lower caption. But not only that, like they're using red for the effect of his head pain, but it almost looks like he just got shot in the head. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and it kind of does. Blood is erupting from the side of his head, but that's not the case. Or like a spike went through his brain. Storm is very pleased with the progress that the team is making. Everything's going well, almost too well, she thinks to herself. I, I feel like this is a common thing. Haven't they thought that before, and won't they think that again? Probably. Uh, their victories mean nothing if Magnum is allowed to fire his doomsday weapon. Um, the next move is Cyclopses, and that's when we we do the thing that you just said, which is we turn the page and find out what is Cyclops doing. And it takes two panels of blah blah <laughs> Pretty much. Lightning rips up the crater constantly now, illuminating a sky that's 
<sighs> the disruption spreading quickly like ripples across. <sighs> at the same time, just offshore, at about 100 feet below the seabed, there we go, we're finally in it. The X-Men and Sunfire are making their way towards Magnum's base by digging through the earth underneath the mountain and the sea. That's, wow. It's awesome. It's it's almost as if it's a callback to, like, I don't know, X-Men 20-something or other when uh, Cyclops was digging holes underneath the blob and um, the uh, Eunice, if you recall that. You know... Now that I'm thinking about this, this is a terrible plan. <laughs> Why is that? Because Cyclops has no idea where they're going. I mean, they're they're assuming they're going straight, but that's kind of really hard to do when you're underwater. Plus, they're they're under the water, under the the land. How the heck do they know? Like, which way is up and down and left? How and right? far away the bottom of the base is from where they are. I don't know, but so, I mean, as we'll read, Nightcrawler has, like, GPS before GPS actually existed, and they are waiting for the signal so they know precisely where to go. How all that works, I don't know, but in the meantime... Right now, they don't have a signal, so they're just kind of... Aimless. I mean, they must have mapped it out prior to, this is the general direction we'll go. We're going to go straight for a while, then we're going to start going up. (laughs) So, but I mean, what's what's going on here is Cyclops is is blasting away as he has done in the past to make a tunnel, but um, Sunfire is behind him fusing the sand together to create like a glassy tunnel, which, okay, that's a good plan. And then following behind is uh, Colossus and Wolverine. It's neat, but it's just scientifically inaccurate. So it's a comic book. I'll let it go. It's silly. And I mean, they don't do this much if ever again <laughs> but whatever i i i like it just cuz it kind of calls back to the old 60s times when they were creating little when cyclops was doing exactly the same thing but uh, anyways so they're also wearing some oxygen masks so there's a little reality in here i mean they know that there's no air down here or, i don't know where the oxygen tanks are but they have the masks on Sunfire is complaining that he doesn't like this sneak attack and that he feels like a thief in the night more than a samurai. And uh, Colossus asks Wolverine, Are you all right, Wolverine? The heat. And Wolverine says, I've stood worse. Yes, Colossus creepily inquires about Wolverine's comfort. (laughs) (laughs) To which is, is it it his heightened senses that make him more sensitive to, to, to the heat? Is that what we're trying to say here? Well, no, it's we're just saying that um yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean Cyclops would also be having a problem with the heat. You yeah, would but... think the same problem. Maybe maybe Sunfire since he's got the power of the sun doesn't have a problem and Colossus is metal. since he's metal doesn't have a problem. Yeah, so that's just what makes me wonder about the heightened sense because otherwise it'd be like Cyclops, Wolverine, are you guys okay? But in this case, it's like, hey, little buddy, you, you, how you hanging in there? Well, I, I think it's just because Colossus is a nice guy. Eh, okay, and he's closest to Wolverine. Yeah, I mean, if it, he he was maybe he's imagining it's Storm. <laughs> that could be. What would I do if Storm were here? I would ask her how she's doing. I will do that to Wolverine and see how he goes. Um. So they're they're um running out of um oxygen. 
I think. Yep, is what uh, Night or Cyclops thinks to himself, and he says, "Still no single, still no signal from Nightcrawler. Without his radio beam to give us precise target, we're stuck." Tunneling blind, we could punch through to the ocean instead of Magnum's base. Where are you, Mister? We're running out of time and air. And then we that flip is, uh, the one way that uh, Wolverine can still die in modern Marvel comics was by drowning. Oh, okay. What about suffocation by just lack of oxygen? Yeah, probably that too. I, that that the they they keep bringing back drowning like it's a big deal, but yeah, I suppose suffocation is uh, equally. I guess the idea that oxygen to the brain no longer existing is what you could use to kill Wolverine. Yeah. Anyways, so uh, we flip over to Nightcrawler, who is coming out of the shadows now. Mm-hmm. And uh, says that, uh, wow, it took longer to find this area than he thought it would be, but now he had better activate the Homer. No! <laughs> yes. Homer steps out and says, I haven't even been invented yet. Mm. Donuts. Donuts. <laughs> uh, Cyclops must be getting war or worried. What is that sound? Vasist! Which means what? That sound! And uh, that he must have pushed the button, or somebody pushed the button, because Nightcrawler says, There's Nightcrawler's signal. Follow my lead, Sunfire. My receiver has pinpointed his location. And then cut loose with everything you've got. Because we know we're going to be surrounded by men. Or maybe we're just going to start destroying stuff. Well, so you'd think that he was talking to Sunfire, and that would mean that maybe Sunfire would be the first to get out of the hole and would be just prep to just start taking people out yes i noticed this too how does how how, why is colossus the first one out of the hole (laughs) right instead of any of that happening colossus comes out and is just like da fresh air i did not know anything could smell so good nightcrawler friend where are you that is a marked change from hit them with everything you've got (laughs) (laughs) that's true i didn't think about that yeah He's like a little puppy dog. He's like, oh, oh, let me go first, Cyclops, please, please. Yeah, but he didn't. So then Moses Magnum, or Miles Magnum, what's his name again? (laughs) Moses Magnum. Moses Magnum comes out of nowhere and says, yeah, that freak is here, but I'm the master of the earth. No one moves through it without me being aware of them. And he punches Colossus in the back. So is Moses Magnum a mutant? I don't think he is. He is not, and we will learn later that he is just an altered human. And if you're to believe what we learned in classic X-Men, he's an engineered human. Right. Um, okay, I guess prior to this, in the issue of Power Man, he had Magnum Force, which was a he was the head of a mining operation, so maybe that's what they mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get some dialogue later that talks about a little bit more of his powers and origin. But anyways, for now, he punches Colossus really hard, and Colossus goes goes flying. For three panels, he goes flying, like a rocket, he says. Whammo! Scram! That punch. Can't remember when I've been hit so hard. I'm going like a rocket. I must stop myself before I fly off the island. And he nearly does fly off the island. Trucked is the sound. By the white wolf, I did it, he says on the very precipice of falling off the cliff. 
is this the yeah, it's it's you said this last episode oh so this is not this is the second appearance of this by the, the white wolf exactly oh, okay i was like eh, i should probably remember this but i i didn't <laughs> that makes me wonder if this is actually the third we've been saying it every time <laughs> in like issue 300 Th this is if the this first is the first time that Scalas has said white by the white wolf uh, yeah i'm pretty sure maybe second but but definitely not more than third <laughs> it's officially like the 212 <laughs> well so colossus he has had it once again he has let his comrades down he is supposed to be the strongest x-man and of late he has not been much more use than a punching bag i cannot draw <laughs> i cannot write i cannot talk i cannot punch i cannot take a hit what good am i that will happen no more. From this moment on, Colossus earns his keep. He learns to draw. He learns to write. He learns to talk to women. I and just... he learns to punch. I wonder if this is um, Claremont and Byrne just trying to write themselves out of a corner. Uh, maybe they've been building up to this. Maybe they were like, Colossus is going to have this moment and we're going to build up to it. Who knows? Okay, I can go with that. Just because I want it to sound more lofty than it than it actually probably was, because <laughs> I almost wonder they're sitting around the creative table and they're like, "Man, we keep beating up on Colossus." Well, I feel like this is this issue is kind of like we haven't been using Nightcrawler lately. Let's show that he's actually useful. Yes, and then we've been really down on Colossus. Let's bring him back. Yeah, and we've done too much Wolverine in the last couple of issues, so let's dumb him down a little bit. Let's cut back on the Wolverine this issue. Yeah, and then. Make him the star of the next 50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so anyways, uh, uh, as long as we're talking about Wolverine, uh, Moses Magnum comes up and just punches him across the face. And he yeah, says... he's he's got... Uh, he fires force bolts that hit like atom bombs, according to Sunfire. He's supposed to be a normal human. Where does he have this ability? And he uses Magneto's catchphrase, I am power! And everyone's like, oh, Magneto's not dead. He's just a black man in a silver suit. We already know Magneto's not dead. Oh, do these guys know he's not dead? Yeah, they fought him twice. Oh, which X-Men think he's dead? Does Do any of the X-Men think he's dead? Like Beast and oh, you're Jean? right. Maybe they do think he's dead. Yeah, I guess they didn't see what happened to him because the whole thing collapsed. Okay, you're right. I take it back. I don't know. One, it could, I, one of the sections of the X-Men that thinks that the other is dead also thinks Magneto is dead. And honestly, I, I think I think both uh, think that Magneto is dead, although I think these guys are the ones who said, we survived, so Magneto could have as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're trying to rush back to the mansion to protect the professor from a possible Magneto who could be alive. So I think it's... Okay, I think so it's, I am right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's Gene and Beast at this point that are like, they're all dead, including Magneto. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All My right. God, says Cyclops, he decked Wolverine. So I guess Wolverine is out for the count. Yeah. I, Cyclops is, I don't know why Cyclops is so uh, surprised that Wolverine got decked. Didn't he get decked by the professor once? His mutant power doesn't allow for him to be decked. How can this be possible? <laughs> Yes, well, it's, you know it's his it's his comrade in arms, and yeah. it sucks. <laughs> so he says uh, he tells Sunfire to blast an opening to the outside so that they can get Storm and Banshee to help out. I go, Cyclops, but I fear even your friends won't be enough. 
Magnum is taking our strongest energy beams and laughing them off. <laughs> Moses Magnum says. Well, from outside, Storm and Banshee see the blast of sunfire and uh, wonder what it is. And then Banshee area, Storm says, Banshee, Cyclops is calling us on the radio. He sounds desperate. <laughs> Why did Sun Cyclops send Sunfire to go get Banshee and Storm if he just had a radio? Well, Adam, you see, this was the 70s, late 70s, and radio antennas couldn't go through mountains. So Sunfire had to blast a hole in the top of the mountain so that Cyclops could get a nice clear line of sight with his radio to Storm and Banshee. Okay, so why didn't uh, <laughs> why didn't they just have Sunfire in this panel coming out saying, "Guys, guys, over here"? I I, I don't know. <laughs> so Moses Magnum, meanwhile, says, "I could destroy you where you stand, mutant," referring to Cyclops. But he says, "Why should I waste my powers when my mandroids can do it for me?" And these are Mark II mandroids. Presumably, they're better than the last ones. Of course. This is a classic James Bond mistake to be the villain and to be like, I could kill you, but I will let these incompetent robots do it for me. <laughs> and that's when our hero, Colossus, returns to the fray. No, send two of your metal monsters against X-Men, Madmen, or send 200. Colossus does not care. Colossus will smash them, all of them. <laughs> and he does. Now, is Colossus misspelt here? It is. <laughs> okay. Cause it's... But that's because he's saying, Colossus will smash them all. Uh -huh. He likes to hold the L out when he's in his macho fighting stance. Okay. He's been watching a lot of wrestling. <laughs> all right. So, and he does. It takes a few panels, but he destroys these mandroids. Tossing the vanadium steel combat suits around like they were rag dolls. And this is the part where it does kind of lose me, and, and uh, Moses Magnum just leaves. Like, he's had the advantage, and he he already kicked Colossus's butt, so he knows he could do it again. He's already beat all of the X-Men, and he's shown that he's more powerful than them, but now he runs away. I swore that if attacked, I would destroy Japan, and by all the devils in hell, destroy it, I shall. Oh, he's a poet. Yeah, definitely. And that's when Banshee flies in and makes a comment to himself that Magnum's Magnum's taking a powder. Hmm. I guess, you know, Magnum's mad, so he doesn't want to fight anymore. Banshee tries to fly in after Moses Magnum, but the big steel doors shut behind him and Banshee can't get in. But that must be getting old. Yeah. But that's when he realizes that Mr. Osama said that his scientists figured that Agrashima quake was triggered by an intense beam of energy. And on the radio, he heard Sunfire screaming about Magnum frying energy bolts. Firing energy bolts. It's a long shot, but I've got to play it. If the Magnum force is some kind of energy beam, then I'm the only X-Men that has a prayer of stopping it. Now... While he, he does talk. While he is flying up out of the wound of the uh, volcano or what mountain, he does talk and tells Cyclops to get everybody off this rock. And for pity's sake, hurry, lad. So Banshee has a plan. 
Moses Magnum, on the other hand, uh, he's going to destroy Japan now. So he runs to, I don't know, his Magnum Force Concentrator room. The center, the his the he runs into the shaft his laser drill had bored to the center of the Earth. Interestingly enough, it looks like the inside of Cerebro as portrayed in the X-Men movies. Oh, yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> but he goes in there, and I, I I, think this is going to concentrate his powers. They tell about his last appearance in Power Man Annual 1, where he supposedly died by falling down a massive earthquake. And uh, he, the last we saw of him, he was screaming as while well, he was falling. He should have died. But as he fell, the laser beam, the exotic weaponry of his combat suit, the elemental force of the quake itself had all combined within him in some mad arcane fashion to give him the power primal, the ability to focus an infinite amount of energy anywhere on Earth in any matter he chose, in this case, to create an earthquake. And I'm okay with that origin. Honestly, I am too. I mean, Moses Magnum is not that compelling of a villain so if you want to take him from being a human mining person to a guy who can control earthquakes and you don't want to show it you just want to do a quick little dialogue i'm fine with that because ultimately if he became like some really high profile mainstream marvel villain you know that they're going to have a big chunk of an issue dedicated to how he actually became that way and if he just fizzles off and, and just kind of fades from memory nobody will care Right? I believe his next appearance after this issue is in Deathlock in the 90s. I, th- I think you're absolutely right, and I have those issues. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't, I don't really remember what the whole deal is with that. But um, I think they uh, were like, well, Deathlock's black and Moses Magnum is black, so they should fight. Hey, that's kind of like Power Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Marvel's racist. <laughs> They're totally racist. Well, anyways, uh, Banshee is outside, and he creates a wall of sound across the base of the island, which is supposed to be counter-energy to block Magnum's beam. Technobabble. And then reflect it on itself. So basically causing Moses Magnum to create a feedback loop. Which seems to work as we see Magnum sweating, saying something's wrong. Must increase power output. No margin for error. I have to match Magnum's energy frequency exactly. Glory, it hurts. Well, I've got to go. At least I'll go with style. And he and screams. we see all of the X-Men covering their ears. And uh, one of them comedically so. <laughs> Colossus? Yeah. I've got my my fingers in my ears because I saw it on TV once. Uh, metallic ears. Yeah. He, like be able to increase his ear metal. Well, yeah, not only that. I mean, it's not like we're going to break his metal eardrums, right? Yeah, who knows? Well, I mean, it's still... It may not break his eardrums, but it's still really noisy. Okay. He screams as he's never screamed before, pitting his strength, his heart, his soul against an almost irresistible force. The battle rages for a seeming eternity. The eerie, unnatural silence that grips the island is broken here and there by cries of pain as X-Men and Mercenary alike are cut down by a sonic bombardment too high-pitched to be heard, only felt. And then, so why are they all covering their ears? 
I have no idea. I mean, they're not in this last panel. They're being blown backwards. Well, at least Sunfire is. Well, I, yeah, I, I don't understand this last panel. Is that the, the whole island blowing up? I think so. Then why is Sunfire outside? Uh, I don't know. Was he like, I'm out of here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And so uh, it's a full day before the weather calms enough for search planes to enter the area. Their initial reports are terrifying. Yesterday there were a hundred tiny islands dotting the section of the North Pacific. Today there are none. Imagine if that had happened inside of Japan. Thinks or says out loud, Misty Knight, as there, as she is on the plane that is continuing the search to see to find any sort of survivors. And uh, they're they're looking around and um, they're running low on fuel. They don't know if they should continue the search, but Misty's all like, "We've just begun." Please, Lord, she... I hope they make it. I don't want to have to tell Jean that the X Men are dead. And I like that. That's a nice touch. Yes. Good job, Chris Claremont. Uh, he's like, uh, maybe I should have touched up on something about this last issue. So this clearly tells the audience that, that Misty and Jean did not have a conversation, and then Misty thinks that everything's but okay. not only that, I think it's, and, you know, my my uh, grammar skills are not the greatest, but I think this is irony. Why is that? Because she, you know, because they're not dead, and it's kind of ironic that, she hasn't told them that, or told, uh, like, they think that, I don't know, they think the Jean's, uh, it's just, it's it's really nice. Right. Because they think the Jean's dead, and she had, they haven't talked about it yet, and she doesn't want to have to tell Jean that they're dead, even though Jean already thinks they're dead. It's just a really nice touch. Bravo, Chris Claremont. <laughs> Slow clap. <laughs> Look, I agree. I completely agree. He, he is a good writer. But I believe that at some point in the next 10 days while they're stuck in Japan, there would have been an opportunity to talk about how sad the X-Men are that Jean died. And then Misty could be like, no, I saw her in an airport. She's just fine. Oh, and that that will play out doubly in the classic X-Men episode. (laughs) Exactly. Anyhow, uh, so it's a miracle that the X-Men survived, thinks uh, Sunfire. He he has flashed his lights and, and let Misty and the airplane know that the X-Men are on a very small island. Literally, the and island looks big enough for just them. Yeah. And Nightcrawler has to stand on Colossus's shoulders. <laughs> Everyone, look! Sunfire's uh, found a plane we rescued! Uh, Sunfire also gives us a, a little background as to what happened. It's a miracle the X-Men survived. An instant before the island exploded, Storm flew Cyclops, Colossus, and Wolverine out while Nightcrawler teleported to safety. To which I say, what? And what about Banshee? <laughs> Nobody flew him out, but he's still there. I guess he so, was the one shooting from a distance, but... Well, right, but... Yeah, but what happened? I don't know. I guess they must have rescued him, but still, Storm can suddenly carry Cyclops, Colossus, and Wolverine? Yes, I know, and in previous issues, I believe we've established that she cannot carry all that much. Certainly not all three of them at once. But whatever. (laughs) Anyhow, ten days passes after their rescue, and uh, Sean Cassidy... Well, everybody's still in Japan, by the way. Sean Cassidy is coming back from... 
the hospital in which he was in a coma, and he is not happy that the X-Men weren't waiting for him. I wonder why no one was at the hospital. They knew I was being released today. The docs said they never left the waiting room when I was in a coma. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make Three. any sense. <laughs> it Three re- days it was, and all of them touch and go. I almost died. How is it three days if this is ten days later? Well, I think what they meant was, like, for the first three days, it was touch and go. He almost died. And then he oh, was okay. in a coma, and then ten days. I, I don't know. Whatever. Okay. Um, all right. Fine. But, yeah, he's uh, he's mad that the X-Men aren't there. And I got to be honest, like, even... Well, at first, he kind of talks himself out of it. He's like, well, I wish one of the X-Men had come to see me at home. It's not like them to be forgetful. I hope nothing's happened. And then eventually he's like, dash it! No! It's not a little thing. They're my friends. They should have come to meet me, but they didn't. I hate them. I'm <laughs> I hate going them. to turn into a supervillain and kill them. <laughs> I hate them all. And then he wonders if he can get a phone call to Moira McTigart, which, uh, well, whatever. He he walks in by by heaven, how I love that woman, and miss her. Oh, and then we see that it's Christmas time in Japan. And the X-Men are all there with a Christmas tree and a sign that says, Welcome back, Sean. Merry Christmas. And they all say, Welcome home, Banshee, and Merry Christmas. Yeah. Sunfire looks peeved to be there. Yes, I Why do. am I still hanging out with you guys? I thought I made it clear that I didn't like you after our first adventure. Could you please go now? Your friend's fine. Well, we also learn here that uh, Banshee has lost his voice. Well, it is Christmas. The date has slipped, totally slipped my mind. Happy Christ. Don't try to talk, Sean. From the look on your face, I think we can all figure out how you feel. That's when Sean's like, yeah, you bloody bastard. Why didn't you meet me at the hospital? I had to spend all that money on a cab fare. Crikey. (laughs) And, uh... Wolverine, he notices Mariko in the corner of his eye, so he decides that he would like to get a chance to talk to her because he hasn't had a chance uh, to to be alone with her since their first meeting. She's never seen Wolverine sound or act so gentle. It's a nice change. So much has changed between we six since we became X-Men. We began as loners and have grown into a family. And she kisses Nightcrawler on the cheek says, I just wanted to tell you that I love you very, very much. And Nightcrawler's eyes almost pop out. He's like, are we going steady? (laughs) I will never wash this cheek again. And the only man in the group that would actually probably enjoy a kiss on the cheek from Storm doesn't actually get one. Well, Nightcrawler is the only one that gets one. Well, well, right. It's not like she goes around handing out everybody except for Colossus a kiss. Yeah, but... That would just be cruel. Colossus is the one that was, like, creepily infatuated with her. I think that's over. And I think this is is the first scene that we kind of get the idea that, you know that subplot we were doing with uh, Aurora and Peter? Yeah, not going to (laughs) happen. It's not going to happen. So, um... I feel close to you as to the X-Men... Uh, now I'm all confused with my accents. Uh, as to my own family, and that's the problem, I have a family. I miss my family. I have real roots. And it's Christmas. 
Yeah, there you go. So nice little personal touch on the X-Men there, uh, kind of reconnecting with themselves and, and not just fighting or planning on fighting. So that's kind of nice. And we're not out of comic book yet. We go to the next page, and Jean Grey is back from her trip from the Greek Isles. And yep, she's back in Edinburgh. She's kind of put the... Uh, Which I hopefully pronounced correctly after all that time. And so she is ready to pick up the pieces of her lives. She has put. Uh, she's come to terms with the X-Men's death and Scott Summers' death. And so she's ready mm. to move on. And that's when she meets up with uh, Alex, Moira, Lorna, and Jamie. Hey. Finally. She's in Scotland. Yeah. Yay. And, um... And Moira, or no, what is that? Uh, Lorna envies her tan. Yeah, she's got kind worked, of a... I worked hard to get it. It was really tough. <laughs> Lorna has, like, a very crooked-looking smile here. Like, is she... She doesn't really envy her tan. Yeah, it's she's more... Ticked off about it. I'm like, couldn't you have stayed in the Greek islands a little longer? <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. So, yeah, she worked hard to get it, blah, blah, blah. So Moira McTaggart says that uh, the plan is to spend a few days in Edinburgh, see the sights, celebrate Christmas, hear tales of Jean's wild and woolly weeks in the Egan, whatever that is, and then they're going to head north for Muir Island. Meanwhile, cut to Muir Isle. Oh. Yeah, we get a little bit of um, origin of Muir Island. It's a foreboding, once uninhabited slab of rock jutting out of the Atlantic above Cape Wrath on Scotland's rugged northern coastline. It's a lonely place miles from anywhere, which made it an ideal setting for Moira McTaggart's Mutant Research Center. Over the years, she made it clear that she liked her privacy, but some people just won't take the hint. And the person that won't take a hint is a person that we met back in X-Men number 104 who rented the X-Men the hovercraft and then refused to rent it to them. Because they were dirty mutants. Do no, did he know they were mutants or was it just because they were in costumes and weird teenagers? Yeah, teenagers in costumes or something. Well, now he knows they're mutants. Yeah. And so his big plan here is to break in. He's basically tracked the X-Men down to Muir Island and, and Moira McTaggart and has decided that he's going to place some dynamite around the building and blow it up, I guess. What a jerk. <laughs> this guy is totally vindictive. And uh, he's even like, and if some people get hurt along the way, so much the better. And that's when... That's when a voice calls to him, Human, I need you. Oh my God, he says. And he doesn't have time doesn't, to scream. doesn't have time to scream. Christmas Day, a life ends and a nightmare is born. It's like the story of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next issue, Wanted Wolverine, eh? dead or alive? Crazy. So there you go, Adam. Uh, and I guess just to kind of tie it back into my thoughts on the issue is I thought the big getting chunk was boring. Like, I don't care about Moses Magnum. Well, ex explain. Moses Magnum wasn't even in the beginning, so so what? Uh... Well, I mean, the whole plot has to do with them battling Moses Magnum, and I, I just it was just it was boring to me. Yeah, but sometimes, and this is my 
Yes, I agree with you. Moses Magnum, terrible villain. Who cares? But when you have like a terrible villain like that, the story becomes about your established characters, and we got a pretty good job. We got we got some more uh, featuring uh, the the characters that we haven't really got a lot of yet. Uh, don't get or me less of. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, the last third of the story, I very much like the whole kind of personal uh, connections and and and. Um, where are we going next type things? I liked all of that, and I'm glad that that was all in there. But I don't know, just the whole Moses Magnum taking over Japan for some reason. Like, that wasn't really clear. Like, what was his beef, um, motivation, that type of stuff. But I'm probably just overthinking it. Well, you know, if you're bored, you're bored. What can you do? <laughs> like I said, it took me three attempts to get through. Uh, through I didn't have a problem getting through this issue at all. I thought it was... Fast-paced and action-packed and good and stuff. So uh, with that, we did get some letters during our small hiatus. Yeah, we got a bunch. We got a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, Let's start with the biggest and meatiest one, if you will. This one came from Kirk Cicada, by the way, awesome name, though it's past fall, so I think all the cicadas are dead. That's a misspelling, if that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's not how you spell cicada, but, I mean... Anyhow, uh, Kirk Cicada, he wrote us a very, very long email, uh, mostly saying that he he likes our podcast, but does take exception to uh, some of the criticisms that most mostly I have made. But I gotta be honest, you know, so I read the most of this email. It's very long. It's very, very detailed. And Adam, maybe, did you read this email? Of course. Yeah, I mean, maybe you can chime in, but I, I think what I got out of it, and I was trying to think, like, how am I going to address this letter? I mean, the sentiment is basically like, um, he takes, not offense, but uh, takes it to heart when I make um, over broad um, um, comments about some of the earlier um, Cockrum and Claremont issues and maybe how unrealistic they are, maybe even how how potentially cheesy they are, or like how the dialogue goes together, or or things of that nature. Is that what you kind of got out of that, Adam? Um, well, I actually thought he was talking about the one through sixty six stuff. Oh, really? Well, he says that he started reading with issue number one hundred, and that was when he was twelve years old. So he may have been reading prior to that, but he would have been much much younger. But, anyways, I guess one of the things that I think. For our listeners of this podcast to realize is that when we're reading these issues, we're we are reading them thirty years removed in some cases, and we're also reading them through a prism of late thirties men, right? Who have experienced comic books all through without their transitions, who have read books and seen movies and experienced life, and so you know it it becomes a little bit more fun to um, pick apart, like what well, to pick apart the issue and say, well, how could that happen? Like that doesn't make sense in reality. If something like that were to happen, then this other thing would happen. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We're trying to make the show entertaining and it does probably rub some people the wrong way. But what I want to say is that it doesn't take away any of the respect 
and admiration that I have for all of those early creators who contributed to the lore that is today. Without your X-Men number 1 through 66 and all the goofy, cheesy things that happened in there, you don't have 33 X-Men video games on the shelves or 7 X-Men movies or the cartoon show or whatever else or the, the, the infinite amount of X-Men titles that you have today. So, or most importantly, 100 episodes of a podcast. Exactly. This podcast doesn't exist without those first, without any of those X-Men issues. So... Um, you know, it, I guess it comes down to this is that if you want your X-Men facts straight and narrow and, uh, what it meant in 1978 for, uh, Chris Claremont and John Byrne to create this issue about Moses Magnum and what that actually meant to the publishing world, there are other podcasts that can give you that material. (laughs) Adam and I... We're not that smart or that dedicated to tell you what impact that had, other than to say that clearly all of this material had a huge impact on uh, pop culture, comic books, uh, and everything, you know? Bottom line, we wouldn't do it if we didn't love it. Um, One example he uses is that it would have been boring to tell uh, a story about Magneto's time as an infant on Muir Island uh, readers would have been bored to tears. I mean, who wanted to read a story about a man trapped in a baby's body when they could be seeing the X-Men fight Magneto? Well, I agree, of course. I mean, I think I even said, like, you know, I can handle this explanation as to, you know, it was kind of goofy that he got transformed into a baby. So when Chris Claremont took the helm, he was probably like, ah. How am I going to get Magneto back to a man? <laughs> How do I? And then he just did it. He's just like, okay, well, here's this alien Shi'ar. There you go. Now Magneto's back. The thing that will rub me wrong is that if they don't address Mastermind Blob and uh, was it Eunice? I can't remember. But the three that were also transformed into a baby. Yeah, which we tried to explain a couple episodes ago. But on the other hand, I have to say that uh, one of the more successful spin-off franchises has been the X-Babies or the Avengers Babies, so maybe a Magneto Baby story wouldn't have been bad. <laughs> maybe it could have been Well, funny. you know, any any story is only bad if there's no, depending on the story. You can make a story out of anything. Uh, so anyways, he, uh, a couple a couple of the comments. Um, Claremont was really undermining his own work with those crafty classic X-Men editions. I think we all agree with that. Uh, Nightcrawler's ability to disappear in shadows did eventually return in Excalibur. Uh, he believes that Alan Davis wrote an issue which explained that when a mutant has a second set of powers, it is usually a result of being a second-generation mutant. Okay. And at that time, it had only been hinted that Mystique's night, uh, Mystique's, that Mystique was Nightcrawler's mother. Uh, the one thing that I didn't agree with, and I think you actually do agree with this, is that he likes Cockrum's work better than Burns. And, um, you know, I think that's just a, I'm not, I'm not, I will, I will say this. I will never knock Dave Cockrum's importance for both designing a lot of amazing characters and, and, uh, doing a lot of stuff that, you know, are, are, are really good. But I, I, I still like John Byrne's work better and it's not, it's not even, it's just a, it's just a matter of, I like the fact that you can see the lineage. I don't know. You can see you can see the lineage in Cockrum from like someone like Kirby, I think. Um, whereas with uh, I like the fact that you can see uh, Jim Lee in John Byrne, and I think that's 
that's neat. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I respect and admire uh, 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 Dave Cockrum as well, but I, I'm more of a burn man. But again, I think that's because a lot of the chunk uh, that I started reading with started as, as John Byrne. So, yeah, and and in uh, and he even says that he started with uh, Dave Cockrum. So, you know, that's that's definitely part of it. He likes Dave Cockrum's covers better as well, which I don't think either of their covers are particularly good yet. I mean, other than the iconic ones, right? So, but that's just us. Kyle Moyer uh, wrote us another long letter, which touches about something that we've actually already touched upon. But he's He's behind. He's in old episodes. Oh. Um, he talks about the the whole Nightcrawler and uh, Nightcrawler's mother yeah. sort of thing. And I think we've addressed that. I think I think uh, he's behind. He says he's yeah. he's in a time warp. Yeah. So we've already covered the whole Mystique uh, Destiny debacle thing. He also talks about Nightcrawler's father, the Azazel. If we ever make it that far, man. Those are, that's going to be a rough stretch. <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyways. Or maybe it'll just supply us with a ton of material. <laughs> but he did, uh, Kyle left us uh, another good, uh, pretty long letter and also left us a five-star review. I think this is him. Uh, Kyle759, and it says uh, the subject and content is OMG awesome. Professor Allen also sent us an email and congratulated us on our triple figures. He's a big fan of the show and would like us to keep it up. And he calls us a couple of futzers. Oh, and he also mentions that he hosts the short box showcase. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to, you know, give it props. And oh. it, it, it might be a podcast. So there you go, so folks. Uh, check go- it out. Google short box showcase and show Professor Allen some love. And then we got a letter from Jake Ibe, who says he's read every X-Men issue up until Onslaught. And then he started college and was not into comics. And now he's getting back into this and reading later day uh, stuff, such as Messiah Complex, Endangered Species, Deadly Genesis. And then he asks, uh, he noticed that there were many different titles besides Uncanny X-Men and X-Men, such as New X-Men, Extreme X-Men, and Ultimate X-Men, and he wants to know what they are. Uh, do you know, Jeremy? Um, new X-Men, well, there's a couple of iterations of New X-Men. There's the New X-Men that X-Men became, which was an awesome run for a while. Then there was the second generation of New X-Men, which was uh, like... Like New Mutants. Yeah, Kid X-Men, and that was actually kind of good, too. I read some of that. Yeah, I actually like those issues. I don't know what happened to most of those characters. I know some of them, they're still around. They're just in different places. Uh, if you read, like, um, uh, Avengers versus X-Men, you do, like, some of them, they get split up between Cyclops and Wolverine's camp, and then I lost track. I know one of them is making an appearance in Young Avengers at the moment. Yes, and some of them were also Young Avengers. So they, they all, they're no longer in their own comic, but... Um... They're they're all still around, but yeah, that's that's them. I don't extreme and ultimate kind of confuse me. Like one's in the normal universe and one's in a different universe. Maybe you know. Uh, yeah, Ultimate X Men is in the Ultimate Universe. Uh, clearly, it makes so sense. There, those are not. Uh, they don't take place in this universe, and those are not typically very very good. 
the first six issues are very interesting, but the rest of them are kind of like, uh, this is boring. Oh, wait, Extreme X-Men, uh, Chris Claremont had that for a while. Right. And it was like it, when they threw Chris Claremont another bone. Yeah. <laughs> They gave him. I actually have um, one of our listeners sold me a whole. I haven't read them yet, but a whole pile of Extreme X Men. Uh, I have every version of or every issue of Extreme X Men. I don't have all of them, but I have a, have a big chunk of them, and I have like the last issue. And the last issue dovetails right into Uncanny X Men, where Chris Claremont takes over again. I do remember them not being very good. <laughs> I haven't read them, <laughs> but and all, honestly, partially for involving characters that I wasn't really interested in at the time. Oh, okay. And they all had like costumes that were involved red sunglasses or something like that. Oh. That were super spy glasses, and um, and he did God Loves Man Kills Part Two or something like that. Chris Claremont did. Yeah, during the Extreme X Men. Oh, run. Yeah, I. Again, haven't read it. I think it's a two-parter or a three-parter, and I think I thumbed through it like, what, what is this? And it didn't seem to have anything to do with the first God Loves Man Kills, but I didn't read the content, so maybe I'm missing out. And then I think they rebooted Extreme X-Men last year or this year, and I have no idea what that is. Yeah, okay. So that, that covers all of it. I don't think you asked, but of course there's also Astonishing X-Men, which any X-Men fan should go out and read. Right, that's probably the best X-Men tale of its day. Yes. There's, of course, there's a there's a hundred, hundreds of other four-part miniseries. There's, there's like Vampire X-Men and Dark X-Men. And... Oh, that's right. And they rebooted, like, X-Men turn. After X-Men became New X-Men, then it became X-Men Legacy. Oh, right. And then they started up another title called X-Men. Yeah, and that's when they fought vampires. <laughs> <laughs> so really, what you got to do? I mean, I think we just probably confused it more than anything. Is well, you guys got to go out to like Wikipedia and be like X Men titles, and you'll get the full path of everything. But man, it's a mess. Yeah, it's it's a total mess. And uh, you know, alternatively, you could just listen to the podcast in ten years. And <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Well, anything else that we got there, Adam? No, I believe that is uh, everything. All right. Well, then, if that's the case, let's turn our attention to the classic X-Men story. This is classic X-Men number 25. And uh, on the cover is... Carrie Gamble and Terry Austin. We no longer have Art Adams, which I think we talked about a couple of issues ago, but... Uh, this is on this cover. You've got Moses Magnum holding Colossus by his neck, getting ready to knock his block off. And all the X Men are in a pile behind him, crawling towards him, hoping they can stop him in time. Um, Wolverine looks pretty good, actually. This is this isn't a bad cover. No, it's not bad at all. Yeah, so it's not very exciting. I would say the Cockrum cover is better. Yeah, I would agree. I would definitely agree. So on page number five, we get our first change that I can recognize where they've more heavily inked Nightcrawler and gotten rid of the whole, like, invisible silhouette effect. Right. They kind of make it so that you can see his hand in the shadows, mm-hmm. be it being in a white glove and all. Yeah. Yeah. And then on page six, he's he is actually, they didn't really touch this up at all. He's still in the shadows, but 
I guess one could just say that he's hiding in the shadows and he's not necessarily invisible. Right. Um, the next edit is, um, uh, I guess we could give this a spoiler warning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's page 12, right? Moses Magnum goes into his Cerebro Tower and we get a full page spread of him flashing back to when he dropped into the pit in Power Man number one. We get a whole bunch of extra pages this issue, by the way. So the first page we get is him falling into the pit that he had drilled out, and it's a full page spread. Uh, The next page, he's screaming, he thinks he should be dead, but he's not dead. and... And then he wakes up naked. Yes, and he's strapped for some reason. <laughs> yeah, well, he's strapped to something, and a man with a metal-gloved hand says, Welcome, Moses Magnum. You're a difficult man to get a hold of. Is that your apocalypse voice? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Hopefully I can remember it when Apocalypse actually becomes a character in canon, but um, we get a, a very smiley apocalypse here. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. Hey, I'm Apocalypse. What's up? <laughs> this is officially my first appearance, if you were to count it within canon. I bet that's not true. You don't think so? Yeah. Well, I bet there's. Place it in. What I'm saying is that if this. The main contents of this issue were in 1978, and they've put Apocalypse. No, the classic X-Men was 88, oh, okay. gotcha. but the actual original X-Men story was in 78, so they've inserted him into a comic book from 1978. I'll bet you he hasn't been included in a reprint of a comic book prior to 1978. All right, well, that's a very specific... <laughs> uh... I mean, I think if you go through Apocalypse lore, they're like, yep, Apocalypse was around uh, in 1 BC. Yeah, exactly. So... Well, at any rate... Um, I believe they've made him, at some point, the first mutant. I, yes, they have. And when we get there, if we get there, I'm going to have so many questions. Because when Apocalypse is first introduced in the pages of X-Factor, I think he's really cool and mysterious. And I guess the writers, as they decided they needed to give him an origin, also saw, thought the same thing, but didn't know what to do with it. And they ended up doing this whole Egyptian sun god prehistoric thing that I don't know. Maybe it's cooler if you read it all in context, but I didn't. Anyhow, yes, it's Apocalypse. And uh, Apocalypse it has captured and teleported Moses Magnum to his lair, wherever that might be, to give him power beyond his wildest dreams. Why? Because you cause chaos. I thrive on it. To paraphrase Nietzsche. Whatever does not kill the race makes it stronger. So we get a little bit of uh, his philosophy, which has always been pretty constant. You know, my biggest problem with Apocalypse is if he's been around since, like, ancient times, why has he not chosen to show himself until, like, 1988 when X-Factor needs an arch nemesis? (laughs) Um, (laughs) cuz. Fine. Anyways, uh, yeah, he, he, uh, only the strong will survive in Apocalypse's world, and, and the strongest will rule, so he offers a chance to Mo- Moses Magnum to join Apocalypse. We and still if you don't, don't, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, we still don't know <laughs> or, why. 
We just yeah. apocalypse is just randomly bestowing powers upon evil men for some reason. Not even creating a horseman here. Power and stuff. Well, he's weeding out the weak. So Moses Magnum submits and says, "I'm yours." Some, and then we uh, somewhere in here we actually uh, when he says all the devils of hell he just says like to Hades with yeah. you he says and by Hades destroy it I shall yeah. that's uh, page ten yeah and so if that wasn't enough we have two pages of changes we get a third page of changes oh and this is oh man I hated this one <laughs> because the mainly all right we we we. We get to see Cyclops standing, uh, the team standing in the uh, the waiting room at the hospital. Right. And Cyclops is all like, another Death Watch, Thunderbird, Gene, Hank, now Banshee. I wonder if it'll ever end and if we'll all have to join him. Ours is a risky profession, Scott says Nightcrawler. And Scott says, spare me the platitudes, Nightcrawler. And that's when Nightcrawler bitch slaps him. And says, screw you, man. You're just a whiny little scumbag. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Spare me the platitudes. <laughs> uh, no, Cyclops just continues on. Maybe the times have changed. Maybe the villains are tougher, more ruthless. The stakes are higher. The consequences of failure. And the price of victory becoming too much to endure. Do you ever ask yourself if what we do is worth the effort and the pain? Maybe you should shut up, Cyclops. <laughs> yes. Millions would have died if not for us. And we must also be weighed in the balance. And we also learn that Colleen Wing and Misty Knight are also hanging around the hospital. Remember, there's been... Which is, like, really ticks me off because, like, why are they not talking about Gene and Hank? Right. I mean, there's downtime here. We've already established that there's 10 days of downtime in which uh, um, Banshee is out for the count. So at some point, they're all sitting around the hospital cafeteria just like, man, I'm worried about Banshee. Yeah, I'm worried about Dan Banshee. Uh, Scott even says Thunderbird, Gene, Hank, now Banshee. And uh, Misty Knight is standing in the hallway. Yeah, well, he's saying it clearly not listening in. But, I mean, at some point over lunch, they would have had to been like, I hope we don't lose him like we lost Gene. Man, that was sad. I'm still sad about that. And that's What you talking about? Misty would have been like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I just saw her at the airport. And then and then, to, to, then he's like, uh, Colleen comes in and she's clearly hitting on uh, 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 Scott. And Misty's kind of like feels weird about it. And she says, there, there's something brewing between you and Scott. And she says, that's our business. He's in pain, Misty. I think I can help. Is that so awful? And then even Misty says, Lord knows we could all do with a little uncomplicated joy in our lives. Scott, I think more than most. Mm. Now, why do they think Scott is so sad if not for Gene's death? <laughs> no kidding. Why wouldn't they ask? It's like... I've trusted your instincts with my Man, life. He's Colin. really taking Banshee's uh, <laughs> being in the hospital hard. <laughs> yeah. Somebody would have been like, this is more than just Banshee, isn't it, Cyclops? Yeah, I'm really sad about Gene and Beast. Um, anyways, so... And Colleen, who's apparently hugging Scott in the next panel, hasn't Scott opened up to her? Yeah, I'm really sad that my girlfriend died. 
Hey, I Misty. Feel really weird about this relationship we're starting up. I should probably mention her. <laughs> Misty, Scott's talking about his dead girlfriend. You know anything about this? What's he talking about? She's not dead. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed and hope to heaven this ends as happily as it began, Misty thinks to herself. Yes, uh, Colleen brings with her the word that Banshee's okay. <laughs> yes, right. And then everybody's hugging. And that's when we flip over to Banshee coming home and the whole Merry Christmas thing. Why does Wolverine have one claw out? He's, he cut open a beer. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all the cliches. Hey, look at him. He's got like eight beers laying around his chair in the second panel. And he's oh, smoking really? a cigar. <laughs> what kind of hospital is this? <laughs> I guess it was the 70s, right? Anything went back then. It's true. So uh, then we go to the backup story, which I don't know. Mine feels like it's missing pages, but maybe it's not. It kind of ends abruptly. Okay. I, I think. Well, this is um, a story that is called, uh, what, Don't Look Into His Eyes? I really wanted to like this story, but I don't know. The writing made it really hard. Well, Adam, it's a Wolverine story, and you're the biggest Wolverine fan I know, so go get him. Uh, Wolverine's doing an odd job for somebody called the, what is he, the Central? The Creeps at Central? Now, um, who, now who is Central? Is this like Alpha Base? I have no idea, but he's a, he's obviously a member of an X-Men because he talks about them. Why do I take these lousy side, lousy side jobs? I got a full life as an X-Man. Well, that's my whole problem is that the only other place that would hire him would have been Alpha Base, which is the place that he was recruited from, to which everyone was like, you can't leave here. We put a lot of money into you. And we also know that Mr. Alpha, or whatever his name, is looking for him because he, he's essentially stolen goods. It's definitely not Alpha Flight. I think maybe it's, unless it takes place after he gets becomes friends with Alpha Flight again. Is Well, that could be. Is Central... Something I that's think Central from... is the Avengers. Oh. They've already hired him on. <laughs> yeah, right. Is Central anything that's from, like, the Wolverine comic book? I, not that I recognize, but I haven't read those issues in a while. He calls them creeps. Hmm. Like, so they're clearly, like, bad guys. And he seems to be doing, like, uh, work for the bad guys on the even worse guys. Yeah. He basically sneaks in, lights some dynamite, and blows a place up that has people in it, which doesn't seem very Wolverine-like. No. It blows up, and he sets his costume on fire, and he's all naked and stuff and wandering through the woods. And then we get a hunter who seems like a pretty thoughtful guy. Mm-hmm. But this is where I get the confusion, because at first he seems like he's thoughtful. He's like... And then I had another thought. I'm just all over the place. He thinks about the Loch Ness monster and then Bigfoot and the Sasquatch and how he's he thinks he's spotted a monster who might be like one of these legendary beasts. Mm-hmm. Do they have the Loch Ness monster and Bigfoot and Sasquatch in the Marvel universe, in which Alpha Flight has a character named Sasquatch and they have Windigo? I. Uh, that's a deep question. I'm, that's just a thought. <laughs> anyway, so he's all like, I can feel it. This is a beast no man has ever seen before, unless I'm chasing my own imagination, my own fear. So he seems like he's a thoughtful guy, but then we cut to Wolverine uh, 
after his thoughts, he's like, uh, this guy is like, I'm, I'm really, I'm a really quiet guy. Does this poor dumb beast know his fate? Not this time. I am far too silent, far too stealthy. And then we cut to Wolverine's thought. If that idiot was any louder, I'd need earplugs. So that's kind of funny. Right. Right. Because we get like two pages of this guy who's just like, three pages actually, of I've hunted the best. It's the only thing I want to do is hunt and kill and stalk and track. And turns out he's a terrible so, hunter. Yeah. I get the, I, it, I get kind of confused. I feel like Chris Claremont is painting him both as this philosophical guy, but at the same time an idiot. So I'm not sure if we're supposed to be taking his philosophies as ridiculous. And maybe he's supposed to be kind of silly. Dumb. But then it seems so serious. I have no idea. And then he, he stuff stuff he starts talking about like I remember my first hunt, the beauty of casting the line, the thrill and the horror and the feel of the tug. So he's kind of a little bit deep thinker, and then he's like, Bah, this is all kid stuff. Dear stupid. <laughs> yeah this is you're a hunter you must dominate man over nature so it's like i don't know it's so difficult well and then we get a nice little uh so the hunter's like shoot the bird on the wing steal its flight it's time to reel in my prey and then we flip to wolverine who says beautiful eagle so free i love this dark silence out here so we're showing yeah. so we're getting the contrast between the two of them but it's just not very well done it it does seem like it seems like Chris Claremont doesn't know how he wants this hunter to be. Does he want this hunter to be a clod or uh, humorous or really, really thoughtful, stealthy hunter that Wolverine's just better at? I, I don't know. Or maybe like the thoughtfulness, like I said, is supposed to be like ridiculous and, and overwrought. But I don't know. Wolverine thinks himself all his crashing about is attracting every slavering carnivore for miles. Doesn't that work the opposite way yes. don't animals run away if you're making a lot of noise i don't know sometimes shouldn't wolverine know that <laughs> well he apparently... gets attacked by a crazy bear who for some reason he's forced to kill mm -hmm. and then he feels really bad about it and then the guy shoots him with an arrow which wolverine catches and throws back at him stabbing him in the knee it's pretty amazing i do have to say that I like John Bolton's art, and I'm not sure who's inking this. I could look in the table of contents, but I really like the inking on this as well. I think he inks his own stuff. Okay. It's very reminiscent of... Um, Barry Windsor Smith? Yes. Like the, the, the street lines. Lots of streaks and lines and, and things. Seems to be what you do when you draw Wolverine, I guess. I didn't think this was uh, John Bolton at first, but I guess he's going for a kind of sketchier inkier style yeah i guess just a more gritty maybe he's read some of the barry windsor smith stuff and yeah he's like, eh, this is what i should do with wolverine you could be right anyway that's how it ends with the guy getting an arrow at his knee and he says what how a dumb beast how and then that's all i got so if there are additional pages i don't know i don't i don't think there are i think that's it it's a weird ending so actually let's just flip back did chris claremont write this or was this Oh, it was Anne Nocenti who wrote that issue or that backup story. Oh, okay. So, not that I have anything against her, but just, uh, strike all my complaints um, against Chris Claremont. He's still. I a, have to. It's it's really Anne Nocenti who's at fault. He's still a genius. 
Yes. <laughs> you escaped my wrath today, Chris Claremont. But not next time. Well, what else you got, Adam? You doing any backup reading? Yeah, quickly I did uh, Captain America, or not America, Captain Marvel, uh, number 50 and 51, which features Captain Marvel versus the super adaptoid, a really old Avengers villain who uh, is a who copies people's powers. Yeah, he was in the X-Men. Was he? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> hmm. Well, he's back. And um, apparently the way that Captain Marvel's powers work right now is he switches places with Rick Jones, and only one of them can exist in the Marvel Universe at the well, at the time, and the other one disappears into the negative zone. Wow. So Rick's got a, a sold-out concert to perform. He goes up on stage, and then we get some awesome lyrics. Champagne people drink their wine. Never knowing what's divine, they believe in let it be, never chasing ecstasy. Lyrics copywritten, 1974 by Scott Edelman. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently Scott Edelman was very proud of these words. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you did or it, it's a joke. You did it justice there, Adam, with that singing. <laughs> It's like a, it's like a, uh, like uh, uh, bad seeds. Who's that guy? Nick Cave. Nick Cave song. So I should do like a Nick Cave cover band. Is what you're saying? I think you just did. Is, is, is what I heard. <laughs> hey, if anybody out there wants to join my Nick Cave cover band, <laughs> <laughs> he seems to be singing. I'm not country. I'm not rock and roll, and I'm not glitter either. I'm Rick Jones. I'm not Alice Cooper, not John Denver. I'm Rick Jones. Myself, take me or leave me. And undeniably, unanimously, the audience takes him. Wow. Jarvis shows up backstage, and they decide to go hang out at Avengers Mansion to have a couple drinks and talk about old times. The super adaptoid, we finally get to the part where he attacks the Avengers, starts stealing their powers. Beast is there. Calls the super adaptoid Soupy. <laughs> That's pretty much his whole role. <laughs> <laughs> Poor beast. He gets thrown into Captain America. Uh, Captain. Eventually, what it, how it rounds up. Um, I think somewhere Beast gets knocked out again. Oh yeah, he gets hit. He gets thrown into Captain America, and then he gets thrown into Vision. <laughs> so Beast is <laughs> just continues to be useless. Aww. Even in Captain Marvel. <laughs> um, eventually, Super Adaptoid steals the cosmic powers of Captain Marvel. And um, with that comes cosmic awareness, which totally freaks out the Super Adaptoid, giving Captain Marvel time to have him switch places with Rick Jones in the negative zone and Captain Marvel and Rick Jones are now two separate entities in the world, and Super Adaptoid is trapped in the negative zone. Next issue features one page of the Avengers saying, wow, that was pretty great what you did there. See ya. Mm. And uh, and somebody named Mercurio the 4D Man. Oh. I think it's still around. I've not heard of that villain. I kind of scanned that issue, so I can't really sum it up. But that's okay, because we're running long. All right. Anything else? No. 
No, that's that's it. I'm my, I'm I'm done with my fastball special, and my mouth is all dry. <laughs> Time to wet it with another fastball special. Indeed. <laughs> all right. Well then, until next week, mix yourself up a fastball special because the danger room is closed. Recipe copyright Michelle Mohan. 